This is In Front of Our Eyes. I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. George just sat there at the casket. He would just say, Mom. I could not fathom that a police officer would shoot and kill another unarmed black man. I'm Nina Moyni. This is an NPR News weekend recap of the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, now entering its final stages. Chauvin is charged with murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. Bystander video shows the police officer kneeling on the handcuffed man for nine and a half minutes as he begs for his life. The defense rested its case on Thursday after Chauvin said he would not take the stand in his own defense, which is his right. One witness for the defense this past week disputed the medical examiner's finding of homicide in George Floyd's death. Dr. David Fowler testified that Floyd died of cardiac arrhythmia while police pinned him down. In past weeks, prosecution witnesses said Floyd died from a lack of oxygen. We'll hear more about the defense's arguments a bit later in the podcast. Statement calls the next witness. Thank you, Your Honor. The state calls Felonis Floyd. Early in the week, Felonis Floyd, George Floyd's brother, was among the last prosecution witnesses. He was called to remind the court of what Floyd's death meant to the people closest to him. He was so much of a, a leader to us in the household. He would always make sure that we had our clothes for school. He made sure that we all were going to be to school on time. And like I told you, George couldn't cook, but he'll make sure you have a snack or something to get in the morning. Days later, we heard Derek Chauvin speak in the courtroom for the first time. I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. His attorney, Eric Nelson, said they had many discussions going back and forth on whether to testify. Here's Judge Peter Cahill making sure that Chauvin knows what pleading the fifth means. Simply, it's that you have the right not to say things that could be used against you in court. Mr. Nelson makes a lot of the decisions in trial, but one he cannot make for you is whether or not you testify. And he can give you advice, and you can take that advice or reject that advice. But the decision ultimately has to be yours and not his. Uh, Is this your decision not to testify? It is, Your Honor. All right. Do you have any questions about your right to remain silent or to testify on your own behalf? Not at this time, I don't. All right. Does anyone uh, promise anything or threaten you in any way to keep you from testifying? No promises or threats, Your Honor. Do you feel that your decision not to testify is a voluntary one on your behalf? Yes, it is. I talked with NPR News reporter John Collins about the week. We start with Chauvin's decision not to testify. So legal experts told us that he didn't have a lot to gain from it, and it would have exposed him to extensive cross-examination of all the evidence that jurors have been looking at for all these weeks. So it was safer for him to decide not to. The only reason he could have decided to testify, and it's his right not to testify against himself if he doesn't want to, um, would be that it would be an opportunity to humanize him um, for the jurors. But obviously, they weighed that against, you know, the opportunity for doing even worse damage to their case. And they decided that he shouldn't testify. 
Yeah, we know the prosecution focused a lot on training, use of force, but a lot of people felt like this was going to come down to sort of a battle of the medical experts talking about what actually caused George Floyd to die, uh, some of the underlying health conditions he had. What are your thoughts on the two different types of medical experts that were called, and how do you think uh, the, the testimony for the defense went over this week? So the prosecution had at least four medical experts who testified that George Floyd died due to what's called positional asphyxia, which is, you know, you could see him on the ground, um, held down with his hands handcuffed behind his back and unable to breathe, essentially, is what they argue, that that position is known to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Whereas the defense only had one retired Maryland medical examiner who testified that it wasn't positional asphyxia that killed Floyd, but he said that he thinks it was uh, the combination of um, drugs, health problems such as heart disease. And then he brought up something about carbon monoxide, which we hadn't heard about before. Hmm. And can you talk a little bit about that argument and and how that went over in the courtroom and, and for the prosecution? Well, I think the prosecution was a little surprised to hear the carbon monoxide argument, too. And they were able to, in their cross-examination of both the defense's medical examiner witness and their use of force witness, kind of undercut some of the arguments that the defense was trying to advance. So I'm not sure how effective either of the defense expert witnesses actually were when the jurors are going to try to weigh those two expert witnesses against, you know, the multitude of witnesses that were experts that the prosecution brought. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying when you sit and you compare the credentials of the people that were brought forth to testify on both sides, it seemed like the prosecution maybe had the edge there. But I feel like that sort of speaks to what exactly the defense has to prove and and what is their burden of proof versus the state's burden of proof. It seems like the state really wanted to make sure that they were able to quell any sort of doubt in the minds of jurors. And it sounds like the defense has to really uh, maybe hold out for one juror who might uh, agree with them. Yeah, that's exactly the way our system works is uh, attorneys will tell you that the prosecution needs one story and they need to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And what the defense's job is, is try to poke as many holes into the prosecution's story, which is that um, Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd by kneeling on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. So what the defense has tried to do with the witnesses they brought this week, even Floyd's ex-girlfriend who was in the car with him um, when he was first detained, was to introduce doubt to jurors um, that the prosecution story isn't as foolproof as they're saying it is. Um, And with Shawanda Hill, who was the name of the ex-girlfriend who was with Floyd that day, um, what they're trying to do is get uh, discussion or the idea in jurors' minds about Floyd's drug use. And uh, some of his underlying health conditions like uh, heart disease, I understand. But it also sounds like Judge Peter Cahill was telling the jurors on the way out, you know, to be ready and pack a big suitcase. I think he said something along those lines. Uh, Just wondering 
how long uh, deliberations may take for this jury. And I know that uh, they will be sequestered now as these deliberations begin, right? So they'll be sequestered starting Monday, which just means they're going to be put up in a hotel and um, they'll have to stay there until they come to some sort of resolution on their verdict. Um, That one person can hold out um, and that can be a really intense process. Um, we had that in the trial of Geronimo Yanez, who uh, shot and killed a uh, motorist, uh, Flando Castile. Um, one juror held out for quite a while before deciding, oh, okay, uh, I'll agree with these other folks that it's a not guilty verdict. Because being in a hotel, being away from your family, um, puts a lot of pressure on these jurors to come to a resolution more quickly than if they just come down to the courthouse from nine to five and have to sit there and then they get to go home. This has been so helpful. Thank you for your reporting, John. Thanks, Nina. As jurors left court Thursday, Judge Peter Cahill reminded them to ignore the news and pack a suitcase as they get ready to deliberate in private beginning Monday. If I were you, I would plan for long and hope for short. Basically, it's up to the jury how long you deliberate, how long you need to come to a unanimous decision. Outside of court, jurors have seen law enforcement and National Guard presence swell to control potential unrest when they hand down their verdict. But if jurors have stopped following the news like they're supposed to, they may not know that the armored vehicles and officers are already responding to unrest elsewhere. Not far away from where George Floyd was killed, in the city of Brooklyn Center, a 20-year-old black man was killed by a white police officer Sunday afternoon during a traffic stop. Dante Wright's mother, Katie, has told the story many times since. And then when I called back, the girl that he had in the car answered the phone, and it was on a FaceTime. And she said, she was crying and screaming, and she said that they shot him. The Wright family says the 20-year-old was pulled over for hanging an air freshener from his rearview mirror. That's illegal in Minnesota, but not often enforced. Brooklyn Center Police say they pulled Wright over for expired license plate tabs. Katie Wright says her son had called her for insurance information when he was pulled over, but she heard police tell him to hang up the phone. She called his girlfriend's phone immediately. She pointed the phone towards the driver's seat and my son was laying there unresponsive. My love. That was the last time that I seen my son. The man's voice you heard is Benjamin Crump, the civil rights attorney who's representing the Floyd family. He's now also representing the rights, including Dante Wright's one-year-old son. Ten miles from where the Chauvin trial regarding George Floyd was taking place, that a police officer will shoot and kill another unarmed black man. It's something that if you told me and I didn't see little Dante's face and his mother, grandmother crying, I wouldn't believe it. As the international media lens swung to the latest police killing in the Twin Cities, the Floyd and Wright families spoke outside of the Hennepin County Courthouse where Derek Chauvin is on trial. The coming together of two families now sharing a devastating bond. To the the Wright family, just letting you all know, from the Floyd family, y'all have our condolences. It's a shame. The world is traumatized watching another African-American man being slayed. 
George Floyd's brother, Philonis Floyd, called on people around the world to once again take to the streets and make their voices heard. Stand up. Stand up. We need you all to come out. And hundreds of protesters have, every night since the killing on Sunday. They've held vigils where Dante Wright was killed and outside the Brooklyn Center Police Department. A 26-year veteran of the Brooklyn Center Police Department, Kimberly Potter faces a charge of second-degree manslaughter in Wright's death. The now former officer is seen on video holding a handgun in her right hand while shouting, Taser, several times. Just before she shot Wright once in the side, prosecutors say Potter and another officer were physically trying to take Wright into custody for an outstanding warrant. The young man was sitting in his car when he was shot. The medical examiner has ruled the death a homicide. Katie Wright says she wishes her son would have been afforded the due process his killer is receiving. But unfortunately, there's never going to be justice for us. The justice would bring our son home to us knocking on the door with his big smile, coming in the house, sitting down eating dinner with us, going up to lunch, playing with his one-year-old, almost two-year-old son, giving him a kiss before he walks out the door. So their justice isn't even a word to me. Closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial are set for Monday morning. This episode was produced by Megan Burks, Brita Green, and Nancy Liebens. Reporting by Brant Williams, Reham Fashir, Matt Sepik, and John Collins. Laura Ewan edits our coverage. Nancy Yang, Paul Tosto, and Michael Olson are our digital editors. We had technical help from Alexander Simpson. Our theme music is by Gary Meister. Thanks for listening. I'm Nina Moyni.